Let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you treat us in a way that we don't deserve, that you forgive our sins, that you give righteousness and your holiness, and you give us a relationship with yourself. Father, we thank you for so many acts of common grace too in our lives of food and uh, shelter and clothing and family and friends and loved ones and we just give you thanks, Father, for the way in which you treat us on a daily basis with so many good things. We give you thanks. Lord, now we pray that you would meet with us as we look at your word together. May we encounter not just your living word, but the power of your spirit this morning alive in us, working in us, speaking to us. So speak, we pray. Meet with us now, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. About ten years ago, when we were... Uh, living in Hereford. Keith was saying we've been here uh, nearly eight years now, which seems uh, amazing, quite quite depressing to some of you possibly, but eight years almost. But just a a few years before that, we were still living in Hereford. And I had a very vivid dream one night. And I often have kind of bizarre, wacky dreams and wake up and then a few minutes later they've gone and you, you can't remember them and they're a bit strange at the time. But this dream really, really stuck with me. And it stayed with me and it really made me think. And it was about my old boss who I used to work with in North Shields. And in the dream, he was saying to me that he tried all sorts of things in life, but he just couldn't get any peace. Peace with God was the inference in the dream. He had tried everything, he tried all these different things in life, and he just couldn't find any peace. And I woke up, and the dream really stuck with me. And normally, you know, I don't know about you, but I forget dreams pretty immediately. But this one stuck with me, and I didn't know what to do about it. Was God speaking to me and telling me to... Uh, reach out and get in contact with my old boss. I wasn't sure. I sensed this is what God was saying, but I just wasn't entirely sure. So I prayed about it over a few days and weeks and uh, procrastinated and kept putting it off, and, as, as, as we do. And then one night at an elders' meeting, we were in, um, in our office and we had an elders' meeting, and I was sharing the dream with the other elders and just kind of saying, look, you know, what do you think? Am I you know, a bit of a fruitcake here, should I, you know, what should I do about this, what should I do? And as I shared with them, and I was asking them if they thought I should get in touch with this guy, there's a little booklet caught my eye on, on one of the shelves, and it was entitled Steps to Peace with God, and it was produced by the Billy Graham organisation. Some of you may have uh, used this before, you might have given it out to people, and I just happened to have one, coincidentally, on my shelf, and there it was, Steps to Peace with God. And as I picked it up, as I was sharing this dream with the other elders, my co-worker Martin, one of the other uh, elders, said to me, well, I guess there's your answer. If you wanted to know whether God wanted you to send uh, some information to this guy and tell him how to get peace, there's your answer. God's just shown you this little leaflet. So I sat down the next day and I wrote him a letter and I put the booklet in and I posted it off to to, uh, this guy. And as I wrote the letter, I was really at pains to try and stress to my old boss that hopefully he knew me well enough to know that I wasn't some religious nutter. I mean, it's not every day you get a letter from one of your ex-employees telling them that they've been dreaming about you, is it? I mean, it's a little bit strange, to say the least. You know, it's a little bit odd. So I was really trying to make sure in the letter that he didn't think I was, or any less freaky than he already thought I was. And I said, look, if you think I'm bonkers and you want to chuck this letter out and ignore it, that's fine, that's your call. But I dreamt about you, this was you in my dream, and if, if I'm touching on any nerves here, uh, and if this is helpful, then I'll leave it with you. And if you want to perhaps meet up or, or chat about what I've said in the letter about, you, or about my dream, then I'd love to do that. So I sent the letter off with the booklet, Steps to Peace with God in it, and uh, just praying, feeling really unsure, really kind of wary about what was going on, and really wondering what on earth he'd make of it. But to cut a long story short, my old boss got back in touch with me just about a week later, 
And he said, yes, uh, he had been having some real struggles in life. No, he didn't think I was mad. He knew that my faith was important to me. I'd, I'd worked with him for about six or seven years. And yes, he'd been having some real struggles in life. And the booklet had really uh, touched on a number of things in his life. And he'd been reading it and was thinking about it. And yes, he'd like to meet up. So the next time I was up here at Regent, I think it was about a month later, up doing a report on a Tuesday night for a church, staying at Keith and Lucy's. And so off I toddled along to Twin Farms. Other public houses are available. Went to Twin Farms and I met up with my old boss. And uh, we chatted and he shared a little bit about the booklet and, and what had been in it and so on. And that he really appreciated me sending it. But that was as far as he went. And I was unsure on the night how, just how far to push things, how, how much to kind of provoke him or say to him but he shared about it but that was as far as it went and that was 10 years ago and I've met up with him a number of times since we are still in touch but as far as I know he still hasn't trusted in Jesus as far as I know maybe he will in the future and I pray that he will my prayer is that hopefully my feeble efforts which were a little bit unsure and a little bit feeble trying to be obedient to what I believe the Holy Spirit was, was, was putting on my heart that this wasn't just a random dream that this was God prompting me to reach out to this guy my prayer is still that I will have been a link in a chain to eventually this man coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. And maybe you could pray for this man. He's called George. Pray that George will trust in Jesus and that one day, the man who taught me how to do my job, I would get to teach about Jesus. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? That would be an amazing kind of circle in life. It would be really great to be able to help him find out more about Jesus. So pray for George. Because being open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us and prompting us in different ways is, is so important because the Holy Spirit is at work in all sorts of different people's lives all around us and we often think, well, they're not interested in, in, in the gospel or in my faith or in church but we often don't know that. We have no idea sometimes what's going on in people's lives, people's backgrounds, how the Holy Spirit is working, situations that seem to be coincidences that bring people across our path and so on. And it's so important that we are open and, and looking out for God's guidance so that we know who to speak to and when. There's a great example for us in this passage that we're going to look at today as we, as we continue in Acts, Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. So let's turn to that and see uh, how we can kind of uh, develop this concept and these thoughts. Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. And it's entitled in my Bible, Philip and the Ethiopian. We're going to read from verse 26 right down to the end of, ch of the chapter verse 40. So if you've got a Bible you want to listen or you want to follow, if not just listen as I read it through. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. 
Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. If you remember back the last few weeks, and if you weren't here that doesn't matter, but over the last few weeks we've been looking about how the early church was beginning to spread out. They'd seen probably six, seven, eight thousand people come to faith in Jesus in Jerusalem and then persecution had broken out and Paul, Saul at that point, soon to be called Paul and we're going to look at that next week, he is leading the persecution and as a result the Christians are scattered, especially the Greek-speaking Christians and they're scattered all over the area. And Philip being a Greek-speaking um, uh, Jew, now become a Christian, he is scattered as well and as they're scattered into Samaria, which is one of the regions around Jerusalem, they begin to preach the gospel. And many, many people trust in Jesus through Philip's preaching. Many people respond to what he'd been saying and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And then suddenly, God breaks into this situation and speaks to Philip directly with an instruction. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, quite how the angel spoke to Philip, we don't know. It would be great, wouldn't it? We'd love to know how that happened. What did that look like? Was it an angel appeared? Did he hear a voice? We don't know. But through this angel, God told Philip to head south to the desert road. He didn't say why, he just told him to go. And Philip was obedient and he went, even though it might not have made much sense to Philip at the time. And Philip was having great success. If you're a full-time evangelist as Philip was and you're preaching and and many, many people are trusting in Jesus, you'd think you'd just stay where you were and carry on doing what you're doing because you're seeing success and you're seeing great things happen. But Philip, hears the Holy Spirit speak to him or, or, or God speak to him through an angel And Philip, even though it didn't seem to perhaps make a lot of sense to him, he heads off and is obedient to what the Holy Spirit is telling him. He went, and as we've read, it led him, this journey led him to this man from Ethiopia who trusted in Jesus and he gets baptised. And we don't know what happened to the Ethiopian, but the fact that he was probably one of the most highest, influential and important figures in his home country probably meant that when he got home, he was able to spread the good news about Jesus even more. He was in a position to really be influential and to ensure that the gospel, the good news, was able to spread, perhaps in a way that other people wouldn't have been able to. And again, we see God's hand. What might seem like a coincidence, uh, a guy is just travelling along, he happens to be the second or third most important man in the country, was the George Osborne of uh, Ethiopia, a man with huge influence and power and ability to presumably go on and spread the gospel. We don't know how it happened, but God spoke to Philip through an angel and Philip was open and he was obedient. Even though it meant doing something that must have seemed a little bit odd at first. And you know, God speaks to us in many ways. And the challenge for us is to be able to know it's God speaking, to hear God and to be open to his voice. Sometimes God speaks to us through other people, things and challenges that other people might bring to us. Sometimes it's through people prophesying, bringing what the Bible calls a word of knowledge, uh, a miraculous amount of knowledge that God gives to somebody to share with somebody else. Often the, the person doing it doesn't know the significance but is able just to share a Bible verse or to deliver something from God. Sometimes he speaks through sermons. Sometimes he speaks to us in dreams. Uh, as happened to me that time. Sometimes we may actually hear an audible voice of God as he speaks to us. It could be all sorts of different ways. And we need to be much more open to this than we are. Particularly here in the West, we tend to be so shut down to anything supernatural. But God still does this. God hasn't changed. And God is still speaking to people through words of knowledge, through prophecies, through dreams, through other people, through sermons, all sorts of different ways. 
And we need to be open to God speaking to us. And we need to be asking God to speak to us on a daily basis. I would suggest the primary way he will do that is through the Word of God, but he does it through other ways too. And we need to ask him what he wants to say to us each day and to be open to what God might be saying to us. And that can be really quite difficult at times because when I had my dream, I wasn't sure, was this just a random dream? Was this just a kind of a bizarre thing that happened? Or was it really God speaking to me? And I believe that over the next few days and weeks that was confirmed that this was God, but I wasn't sure. Eventually I decided that if it was God, then I had to act. If this was God speaking to me, and the content of the dream was so specific, then I had to act. But even if it wasn't God, then what did I have to lose? Because what I would be doing would be about sharing the gospel with someone who needed the gospel. So either way, it was the right thing to do. But discerning, hearing and discerning God's voice can be really difficult for us at times. It requires a number of things, doesn't it? It, it, it requires us to take time alone with God, to, to be still and to hear from God, to take time out from our busy schedules and to just quieten ourselves before God and ask him to speak. It needs us to be living in close harmony with God. If we expect to hear God's voice, then we need to be spending time with God in prayer and just being in quiet and in reading the word of God and walking with him closely. If we're filling up with sin and unrepented of sin, then we're going to struggle to hear God's voice amidst all the clamour of stuff going on around us. And even if we're leaving you know, godly lives, sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? There's so much noise in our lives, so much stuff going on around us at the frantic pace we live our lives. And it's difficult amidst all the other competing voices to hear what God is saying to us. Sometimes it can be really helpful to talk to other people, godly people that we respect, and, and just say, look, I sense God is saying this, or I believe God is saying this to me. What do you, what do you think? And at other times there will just be no doubt that this is God, that God has spoken clearly and we just have this overwhelming sense that we need to do something or speak to someone. So write this down, we need to listen for God's voice and be prepared to step out in faith. It's one thing, it's a huge challenge in itself. There's a whole sermon series we could have in listening for God's voice and and stopping and, and hearing and how God speaks to us. That's a challenge in itself, but also then to have the faith and the guts and the 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 determination to step out in faith because often what God will say to us will then require us to do something. It's okay if it's just a word of of assurance or comfort or encouragement, but if God is calling us to do something, particularly like writing a letter to somebody I hadn't seen for eight years and say, I've been dreaming about you, it's a little bit weird, a little bit scary and something that, you know, ordinarily we're not going to do. And it can be scary at times, can't it? I have to be honest, I was really worried about getting in touch with my old boss. What would he think of me? Would he think I was mad? Would he think I was a religious nutter or an even bigger nutter than he already thought? But but ultimately I had to act because what God thinks is more important than what people think. What God thinks is more important than what other people think. If I'm honest in my life, the fear of man is often more important to me than the fear of God. I don't know about you, but that's so often true in my life. I, I fear man, I fear people's opinions more than I fear God. And we should be the other way around, shouldn't we? That we live in the fear of God. Not frightened of God, but living in the fear of God. In reverence awe. In reverent awe. So that God's opinions matter to us more than the opinions of people around us. People who may reject us. People who may think we're mad and religious nutters. But doing what is right because God matters to us more than people. So I wonder today, how is God speaking to you at the moment? Not through what I'm saying, but, but just in general, how is God speaking to you at the moment? Maybe the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and telling you to do something for him. 
may be evangelism related, it may not be. It may be a, a step you need to take in life, uh, a relationship you need to repair, uh, a sin that needs repenting of, an action that you need to take, maybe something to be involved with or, or, or to pull out from. I, I don't know, whatever it could be. It could be all sorts of things. More specifically, has the Holy Spirit been leading you and prompting you to share the good news about Jesus with a particular person, maybe someone that you work with, someone that, that you share a desk with, or somebody that you, uh, is in your family or in your street. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to do that. And if, like me, you're the king of procrastination, and we, and we put it off, and we put it off, and we'll do it tomorrow, or, or when it's more convenient. Or will we be like Philip, and as we hear the voice of God, we're obedient and we step out in faith. What I want to do now is just have a, a few moments of quiet, just to bow our heads, close our eyes, and just to stop and be still before God and, and just to ask God, Lord, if, you're, if you have something for me to do, if there's something you want me to hear, please speak to me now. And just in a few moments of silence, in the sanctity of the moment, to be still before God, because maybe there's something that you need to hear from God and maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit has been saying, but you just need to respond to that. And now's the time to do that. So let's just be quiet and be still before God and listen to his voice. Father, I just pray that you would clearly speak to each one of us. Father, whatever it is you need to say to us, whether it's an action we need to take, whatever action it is, Lord, that you would speak to us. And uh, I pray, Lord, for each one of us this morning, if you have spoken, that we would have the courage and the faith and the determination to step out in faith and do whatever it is, even if it's awkward and difficult and hard. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Philip was obedient. He'd heard God's voice. We don't know how that happened. It would be fascinating to know what that looked like. Even though it probably didn't make much sense to him, he was obedient. Look at verse 27. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Having obeyed the Holy Spirit, Philip met this Ethiopian official, George Osborne of Ethiopia, a man who worshipped God and had travelled all the way from his home country, what was now Sudan really, rather than Ethiopia, up to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple there. And whilst he was at the temple in Jerusalem, he'd probably bought himself a copy of the Bible in the temple courts, or maybe just parts of it, and as he was heading home, having worshipped God, we don't really know what his relationship, what God was, but he was a worshipper, a seeker of God, and there he is, in his chariot, in his, the BMW of the chariot world of his day. This was the top man. And there he was uh, reading the book of Isaiah. Not really sure what he was reading about. Now Isaiah was a prophet who God had spoken to the nation of Israel through about 700 years before this was actually happening. And the different things that God had spoken to um, Israel about through Isaiah, Isaiah wrote them down and they became what we know as the book of Isaiah. 
And as this man was travelling along in his chariot, he was reading a very important part of the book of Isaiah, a part that related to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit had led him to read the description that God had given to Isaiah 700 years earlier about how the Messiah, God's chosen King, the Christ, would come, would die, would take away people's sins and would make it possible for people to get right with God and have their sins forgiven. And this was the very passage that he was reading. And this was the perfect evangelistic opportunity, wasn't it? You know, there was no question about, well, should I step up or not? This guy is reading Isaiah, he's reading about Jesus. This is a golden opportunity. And Philip seizes the moment. Verse 29 says, The the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The man was seeking God, he was a seeker, he was a worshipper of God, he wants to find out more about God, and he's reading about Jesus. This is the perfect evangelistic opportunity. Philip had been listening to the Holy Spirit, and now he was responding to the opportunity that the Holy Spirit had brought about. This wasn't some amazing coincidence, this had been planned by God before the world was even created. This perfect opportunity for Philip as he's he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 32 says this, The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The man was confused about what he was reading. He didn't understand who the prophet was talking about. Was he talking about himself? Was he talking about somebody else? Look at the next verse. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The Ethiopian was reading about somebody being put to death and he wanted to know, who is this referring to? So Philip was able to use that very passage of Scripture and then tell him the good news about Jesus. And the passage he was looking at was actually Isaiah 53. And the whole chapter is this great detailed description written 700 years before the crucifixion of how Jesus, or how the Messiah, who was Jesus, would come, would die, and through his death would make it possible for people to be right with God. And no doubt Philip didn't just look at those verses, but he looked at the whole of that chapter, beginning with these verses, then using this whole chapter to talk about the Messiah and how Jesus had died on the cross and how it was possible now to be right with God and have a relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit had brought Philip alongside this man just at the very moment of all moments that he was reading from these verses. But you know, Philip still then had to be prepared, didn't he, to step out of the comfort zone. He could have just said, oh, that's very nice, I see you're reading your Bible, that's very nice, good. But he still had to step up to the next stage and say, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Philip was an evangelist and he clearly made the most of every opportunity that came his way to tell people about Jesus. Most of us, however, are not evangelists. I'm not an evangelist. Most of us are not evangelists. Some of us are. Being an evangelist is a special ability that God gives a person when they come to faith in Jesus. It's it's what's called a spiritual gift. But not everybody has that gift. Some people do. Probably most people don't. But we're still all called to do the work of an evangelist. We're not all evangelists, but we can still evangelize. We can all still share our faith. We may not have that special, unique ability. The guy I used to work with, Martin, who I referred to earlier, he was an evangelist, still is. And when Martin preached, people get saved because he has that spiritual gift of an evangelist. When I preached, people didn't get saved. But, you know, I don't have that gift. Generally, that was what happened when he preached. People would get saved because he had that anointing and that gift of an evangelist. And Philip was like this. 
We're not like Philip. Most of us are not Philips, but we can still do what Philip did here. And Paul, writing to ordinary Christians like you and me, says these words in the Bible. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Make the most of every opportunity. You're not an evangelist. You're probably not an evangelist, says Paul, but hey, make the most of the opportunities that come their way, that come your way. Because the Holy Spirit will give us opportunities all the time if we're looking for them, if we're asking for them, and if we're seeing them. The challenge for us is to be aware of them and then to make the most, to seize the day, to seize the moment. The Holy Spirit might be at work in someone's life like the Ethiopian, but we still need to make the most of that opportunity and to take the opportunity and to grasp a hold of it when it's presented to us. The Bible also says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We're not meant to be ramming things down people's throats, shouting at people angrily and nastily. That's not what the Gospel's about. The gospel doesn't, Jesus doesn't need us to do that, doesn't need us to shout at people. Do this with gentleness and respect, but always be prepared to give an answer not just to respond, but actually to be stepping out, to make the most of every opportunity, always being prepared. See, the Holy Spirit wants us to be ready and prepared to make the most of every opportunity as they come our way. If we spend time with non-Christians, that's the first thing, because if we're not hanging out with non-Christians, who are we going to tell about Jesus? If we're living in a little Christian bubble and we never spend time with non-Christians, then we'll have no non-Christians to share the gospel with. So the first thing we need to do is spend time with non-Christians. And then secondly, if we're living a life that's in step with the Holy Spirit, as Philip was doing here, tuned into what God is saying, then opportunities will come our way to tell people about Jesus, but we need to take them. We need to make, write this down, we need to make the most of every opportunity to preach the gospel. We're walking day by day in step with the Holy Spirit and listening to him, and if we're on the lookout for opportunities, then they will come to us. Sometimes we'll, they'll kind of just be dropped in our lap and somebody will ask us a question. Other times we might need to be a bit more bold and actually step out and, and risk our reputation a little bit and step out. But either way, if we're on the lookout for opportunities, then they will come to us. We just need to be ready. We need to be ready to take the opportunities and share the good news about Jesus with those around us. Now this Ethiopian man listened to Jesus, uh, sorry, listened to, or listened to Jesus, because he did, through Philip, as he told him the good news about Jesus, that Jesus had died in his place, had taken the punishment for him. This was what Isaiah 53 is full of, and that he could be made right with God. And he must have therefore gladly accepted what he'd heard. He wanted to know he was a seeker, and he'd been seeking the truth. And because Philip was ready to make the most of every opportunity, the man heard the good news, and he trusted in Jesus. And having trusted in Jesus, no doubt as they were carrying on on their way in the uh, chariot, Philip got to instruct him that Jesus said that those who trust in him were to be baptised to show that their old life was over and that they'd begun a new life. And so in verse 36 we read these words, As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptised? Having trusted in Jesus, he wanted to be obedient to Jesus' command that those who trust him should publicly demonstrate and tell others that their faith in him is real, that they want to get baptised by, and by doing that show to other people They've trusted in Jesus. So having come to some lake or some river or, or, or some sort, he, get, he got baptised. Verse 38 says, And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip 
baptised him. He inquired about Jesus. He trusted in Jesus. And then he demonstrated his faith in Jesus by being baptised. He didn't wait till he was older. He didn't wait until he felt he was old enough to do it. He didn't wait until he knew more about Jesus. He didn't wait until he'd matured as a Christian for four or five years. He simply got baptised right in there and then. He trusted in Jesus and he knew that being obedient to Jesus meant get baptised. And that's always the pattern in the New Testament. Baptism always follows straight after trusting in Jesus. So what about you this morning? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you given your life to him? I guess for most people here this morning, that, that's for you. That's true for you. And you say, yes, I've trusted in Jesus. And that's fantastic. But have you been baptised? Have you taken that step of going down into the water, going under the water and coming back up out of the water, as this Ethiopian did? and demonstrating to all those around you, to friends and family and church family and to wider group of people, that you are now trusting following in Jesus. To show that your old life is dead, that you buried your old life and that you've begun a new life. See, if you've trusted in Jesus, write this down, then you need to get baptised. If you have trusted in Jesus, then you need to get baptised. If you've trusted in Jesus, then don't put it off any longer. Come and talk to Keith or Paul or myself after the service this morning, we'd love to arrange for you to get baptised. You know, if, if you are a Christian this morning, if you've trusted in Jesus, no matter what age you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus and you've not yet been baptised or you're not planning to get baptised fairly soon, then you're being disobedient to Jesus. Jesus says, make disciples, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if, you're, if you've trusted in Jesus but you haven't yet been baptised or, or you're not planning to get baptised, then you need to do that. To trust him, yes, that's great, but then to obey him. The song that we sang at, the, at my baptism when I was uh, 12, when I was baptised, was trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I would love one of the last conversations I have today before I go off for three months to be with somebody who would come and say, Andy, I'd like to get baptised. Can we make that happen? And I would love that to be one of the last conversations I have before I go out the door this morning. Verse 39 says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This man has trusted in Jesus. He's baptized. He is rejoicing. He's happy. Now, this doesn't mean that Philip magically disappeared like something out of Star Trek. He didn't just kind of disappear up into thin air. That's not what it's saying. It just means that the Holy Spirit led him away to his next appointment as quickly as he brought him to meet the Ethiopian. Verse 40 says, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip had done the job the Holy Spirit had led him to do and his work was done. He'd been obedient to the original command to go south to the desert road. Then he'd been obedient to the command to go next to the man's chariot. He could have just stood there and thought, this guy is so important, who am I to go near? He didn't. He then was obedient and he went alongside the chariot. And then he made the most of the opportunity that was presented to him and gifted to him by the Holy Spirit. And he led that man to faith in Jesus. What an amazing story. What an amazing incident. But now his work was done and it was time for him to move on somewhere else. But what about the Ethiopian? What would happen to the Ethiopian? He was all on his own heading back to Ethiopia, the only Christian. He'd be the only Christian there. He'd, have, he'd know little or nothing about the Bible or how to live as a Christian. I would hope Philip had given him some basic instructions and some basic kind of knowledge, but, but not a lot. He only had a little bit of time with him, I guess. And I think most of us would be 
panicking about leaving a brand new Christian in a situation like that. I certainly would. The thought of just saying, well, I've just led you to faith in Christ, now off you go into, a, into your own country, you're the only Christian. Good luck with that, off you go, that's great. I, I think most of us would be struggling and saying, look, stay, stay for a few years, get to know Jesus better, but, you know, it's, or, or I'll come with you, or I'll hook you up with a Christian in that country, or, or something like that. And in general, that should be our attitude, shouldn't it? Jesus calls us to make disciples, not just converts. Not just about leading people to faith in Christ, but we're to then disciple them. And discipleship is not a, a six-week course or a 20-week course. It's a lifelong experience of growing and following Jesus. And we are meant to be doing that as Christians, to be discipling other people. We shouldn't just lead people to Jesus and then leave them alone without any further input. However, there are times when, personally, we're not in a position to take things further with somebody. Sometimes we might lead a person to faith in Christ and then we have to leave them in the hands of somebody else, someone that we perhaps we don't know. And we just have to trust God with them. To trust that, well, if God is big enough to bring them into my life, for me to lead them to faith in Christ, then he can look after that person and he doesn't need me. God's been doing this a little bit longer than I've been alive, so I think he can cope without my input. And that doesn't mean we should just abandon people, but to stand back and have faith that God is bigger than us and bigger than our circumstances. Sometimes we might be on a train or a plane journey or perhaps we're away or somewhere and we meet somebody and we get an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, to tell someone about Jesus, but they don't trust in Jesus. The Ethiopian here did, but perhaps most situations in our lives, people don't take that step of faith. We get to share the gospel with them. Maybe we get to give them a, a, a tract, an evangelistic booklet like the one you saw earlier, and we leave it with them and we do our bit but we can't go with them where they're going and we have to leave that person in the Lord's hands and just trust them with Jesus and trust them with God. If we can keep on meeting with somebody and, and bring them to church and lead them to faith in Christ and then disciple them, then of course we should do that. But sometimes we just have to be content with being a link in a chain and leaving the rest to God. We never know where these encounters might lead to as you're uh, this week, perhaps on a train or, or, or you're out at work or, or whatever you're doing on the phone, opportunities may come. We never know where they're going to lead to. And we never know what our input, our link in the chain, our input to this process might develop to. That, that person, after meeting us on that train journey, might then go home and find themselves a Bible, having been challenged by something we've said. And they might read it and then sometime later, perhaps weeks, months, years even, put their faith and trust in Jesus. And you might never know what happens to them. Or you might not find out until years later, but you played a role. You were a link in a chain, an all-important link in a chain. And somebody else may have the pleasure and privilege of, of actually leading them to faith in Christ, but that role that you played perhaps 10, 20, 30 years earlier is just as crucial. You were there at the right time, led by the Holy Spirit to say the right thing and to help them along in their journey of faith. And it might not be you who gets to lead them to faith in Christ maybe somebody else will but you'll have played your part my dad phoned me the other week and he's now 72 and uh, many years ago he used to run a Bible class I would say it was a little bit like space but it wasn't really um, but anyway on a, on a Sunday afternoon we used to study the Bible and my dad was Bible class leader and, there, and just a few weeks ago he heard from the church that we used to attend in London uh, that a lady who's now in her late 40s had turned up at their evening meeting their evening service and she'd become a Christian and she wanted to come back to the church where she had first encountered Jesus, which was in my dad's Bible class. And you think, how amazing. And he was really humbled. He said, I I'd forgotten who she was. I, I couldn't even remember who she was. And then a a a somebody phoned him up and told him what had happened. Think, wow. Input 
30 years ago, now coming to fruition 30 years later. A link in a chain. At the time, seemed it was fruitless, pointless, nothing happened. She went off, never seen again, and left that Bible class after attending a few years or whatever. But this lady, at God's time, in God's timing, put her faith and trust in Jesus because of a link in a chain. So write this down. We need to believe that God is in control and be prepared to be a link in a chain. We need to believe that God is bigger than our agendas and our timings. It's difficult to do that. I find this really difficult, but to be prepared to be a link in a chain. If you're anything like me, you'll really struggle to do this. Walking away from people or, or, or leaving people in God's hands is really hard. Believing that God is more capable than we are sometimes is, is, is hard to do. But we need to trust that God is in control and leave people in his hands, knowing that we might have played a part in them coming to know Jesus at some point in the future. When my old boss popped up in my dream a number of years ago, I wasn't sure what to do, but by praying and by talking to some other godly people, I sensed, I really sensed that the Holy Spirit wanted me to step out and to share the gospel with him by sending him that letter and, 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 and a booklet. To my knowledge, he's still not a Christian. As yet, as far as I know, he hasn't trusted in Jesus. But I hope and I pray that my own input into his life, both when back at work and, and, and then since having got in contact with him, may play a part in him one day trusting in Jesus. And how fantastic it would be, wouldn't it, if I got a phone call from him saying, I've trusted in Jesus, would you baptise me? That would be amazing, wouldn't it, to have something like that happen, be the icing on the cake. So we need to walk hand in hand with the Spirit, to listen for his voice and see who he's leading us to. And when he leads us to people in his life, he is working, then we've got to seize the day, seize the opportunities and share the good news about Jesus with them. And we may or may not see the outcome, but we can do this in the knowledge that God is in control and that they are in his hands. Now we're going to be gone for three months. I'm going to challenge myself with something and I'm going to challenge you with it too. Here's a challenge that over these next three months that we all share the gospel with one person. I challenge you to do that. Over those next three months, every single one of us step out and share the gospel with one person. They may not come to faith, we may just be a link in a chain, but wouldn't it be great in September, come and say to me, yeah, I, I shared the gospel with this person. Let's hope it's many more than one person, but let's set our sights on an achievable result for most of us, which is to be bold and share the gospel with one person. And you can hold me accountable to that too. Don't let it be the first thing you say on 1st of September, but... but Let's hold each other accountable as we walk together, as we seek to reach a lost world for the sake of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the great, wonderful good news about Jesus. We thank you that it changes lives. Thank you that it rescues people from hell and it gives people eternity and it gives people a relationship with you and holiness and righteousness. Father, thank you that we have experienced this and we can praise you for this. Help us, we pray, Lord, to reach out and to step out and to be bold with others, those around us. Help us to listen to your spirit, to hear your spirit speaking to us in all of life situations and not just when it comes to evangelism. Help us to be obedient to your voice. Help us to be links in chains and may we have that wonderful rejoicing of leading people to faith in Jesus and, being, and to playing a part in that we pray. So bless us now we pray. We ask that you go with us throughout this week and do great things through us and in us, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.